Welcome to the Balanced Being Podcast with Guni Sodi. Your life made simple. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Balanced Being Podcast. I'm so excited to be back. It's been a little bit, you know, I think with the summer, usually I give myself a break and then come back on, give myself a break, come back on. As summer is slowly kind of coming down to a wind here in the United States, my guest actually, it's interesting because they're about to start into that season. I'm so excited for who's on here. So I'll be more consistent bringing on more people, having more of the solo cast. So once again, thank you guys so much for just, you know, just being here. What I want to do now is introduce somebody who has a resume and a bio that I have not come across before. It's amazing. This person came across us through a mutual friend. And as soon as I read her bio and who she's about, I had to have her on. It's actually my honor. Her name is Lisa, and she is an ultra endurance athlete, motivational speaker, and author. But I think what makes her story so profound is what we're going to get into later on in the conversation is how she was able to be a beacon of hope and passion for her mother after her mother went through a very serious and challenging health condition. And she'll tell you guys about it. Basically, her mother was left, and it's an amazing story. Her mother, after a brain aneurysm, was left told by the medical community that she would never have a quality of life again. But it's through her amazing story and belief that her mother has turned her life around, so passionate about and helping other people do uh, kind of strive as well. And she is all about the how to stop fear ruling your life mindset. She's a leader. She talks about change management. She has ran in some of the craziest conditions that I can think about. And she's clocked over 70,000 kilometers. Lisa, how is that even possible? <laughs> Racing <laughs> everywhere from the Indian and Nepalese Himalayas, the outback of Australia, the Sahara, all over Europe to the Gobi Desert. This is interesting what I'll get into too. She's raced in Death Valley and has even done an illegal crossing in the Libyan desert. Goodness gracious. An extreme expedition that took her years to recover herself from. She has pushed her mind and body to the limits, staring down fears and dangers most of us would find insurmountable. And she has had her fair share of success and failures, but she's used every opportunity to learn something new and valuable. Lisa, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome on. I cannot wait to get into your story. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's very, very kind of you to have me on. And thanks for, for such a kind intro. Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely. Not all, it's not all that great. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been around a while. Seventy thousand kilometers. I see that on cars. I've never seen it <laughs> clocked on a human body. Tell me about your story, about your why. What got you into running? What got you into going to these places? And most importantly, what was that mindset that made you challenge yourself to the point where you're racing in the Himalayas, you're racing in Nepal, you're racing in, the, in deserts in extreme environments? And how did you face that? challenge i mean i'm sure the fight or flight kicked in i'm, I'm a i'm a huge fan of understanding the fight or flight me i'm too. sure the i'm sure the physical body was also like lisa you got to be kidding me we're not doing this so talk me through that take me through what got lisa to start that and then of course i want to cover the story with your mom and the amazing transformation as well yeah it's a long story and you don't you don't wake up one day and go right i'm gonna run across the desert sort of thing i grew up in the 1970s so i'm showing my age in new zealand and so really outdoorsy. you don't look like it you don't look oh, like it thank you <laughs> running is good for you um, i and i had a really outdoorsy adventurous childhood you know sport was a big part of my my family life and i had a dad who was a real 
uh, he, he was an awesome dad and he was really, but he was tough on us, you know, and he was like expected a lot from us in sport. Those so are the best. Up. Those are the best dads. They love you, but they're hard on you. Tell you exactly. Yes. They are the best dads. And he was amazing. And he, you know, he expected a lot. He wanted a lot. He really wanted his children to represent his, the country in, in sport and something. And so that sort of set my mindset up for, you know, striving and working hard and discipline. And I was a gymnast as a kid. And then I sort of went through puberty and grew too tall and I wasn't the right shape and size to be a you know tiny gymnast, just didn't quite have what it took. So I, I gave that dream up and then I was searching for what else can I get into, you know, and I was into all sorts of things. How tall are of, you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm only five foot eight, but you know. Five foot, oh so, yeah, the gymnast, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. For a gymnast and, and I was very athletic and, you know, not a tiny petite little thing that you need to be. I lost a lot of confidence after stopping mm. gymnastics because, you know, it was a body image thing when you're a teenage girl going through that. So we went through a lot of, you know, self-loathing and body image issues as young girls often do. I ended up meeting a young man who I ended up falling in love with and traveling around the world with. And he was from Austria and he was an extreme sports person. Done an awful lot of things for his young age at that, that point. And he sort of opened my eyes to the world because at that point I'd never been out of New Zealand. I'd, you know, this is my little island nation and this was it sort of thing. We'd never right. been anywhere right. else. So I got to go off with him and travel the world and I cycled through, you know, countries all over the place and trekked and climbed mountains and did all this cool stuff but at the same time the relationship wasn't a healthy one and um, it ended up over time you know as these things happen the power sort of shifted in the relationship and it became a very abusive relationship I'll just say what it is so if you can imagine being in boot camp you know like you're in the <laughs> you're, you're doing this really tough lifestyle where you're pushing your body to the limit all the time and then you're being abused <laughs> all the time and told how useless you are and that you can't do anything and you're never going to achieve anything and you're a hopeless runner and you're useless at this. Um, and basically, yeah, you're, you're no good at anything. So that combination was a bit like going through Navy SEAL training or something because <laughs> it was pretty tough times. Can't imagine. But it, be it became sort of my norm. And because we were sort of living, we lived isolated. So it was just the two of us all the time so it came, became very insular if you like after five years of relationship and you know this development we ended up doing a crossing of the Libyan desert wow. and this was an expedition that we were invited onto two other guys were doing it we joined them and it wasn't an illegal crossing it was but it's of course one of the most beautiful it, most it amazing was deserts. illegal crossing you said sorry yeah yeah so ah. this area is a military bar area right you weren't allowed to go in there so it's sort of on the border between Egypt and Libya, right? Is, it, dan desert. is it dangerous, Lisa? Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> Very oh, dangerous. Wow, wow, wow. But the most incredible desert that you could imagine. So the leader of the expedition, his name was Elvis. All good stories start <laughs> with a name like that. Um, he He's a Yugoslavian back in those days, Yugoslavian survival expert. And he had been to this desert 20 years before and seen a part of it and was just blown away with the beauty of the place. And he wanted to do a crossing of 250 kilometers, so a section of it, and do that unsupported. And we were going to go across it. So off we four went and we had to disappear into the, into the desert at night, you know, get out of this oasis. So that we didn't get caught by the, because there's a military base there. And so right. we had to wait till cover and of darkness. For my American audience, 250 kilometers is 155 miles. Thank so you, you very much. So, so you're, you're, you're talking about some serious ground. 
<laughs> yeah, we are. And because it was unsupported, we had to carry everything on our backpacks, right? So that meant all the water because there was no water out there. We didn't know when there was any water. So we had to carry everything. So that meant we only had two liters of water a day. Now, wow. two liters of water a day in you know, normal temperatures are sort of, oh, well, okay, you know, <laughs> but when you've got 40 plus degrees and you're trying to cover a 45 kilometer distance, which is like 26, 27 miles a day in 40 degrees Celsius, which is what, 100 and something. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll, get, it, I'll get it for you. 105 or something like that. That's not a good combination if you start to do the math. 104. 104. My, my Thank you gosh, very much. My gosh. Yeah. And so the backpacks were huge, right? And so like we had, I had 35 kilos on my backpack and I only weighed like 58, 59 kilos. So that was for me like two thirds of my body weight. So <laughs> to, to actually just stand upright and walk was a mission. And the boyfriend, he wanted to do a book about this trip. Like he wanted to, he's a photographer. He wanted to photograph everything and so on. And he wanted me to help him with the photography, you know, set up tripods, do all that sort of jazz. And the leader of the expedition, Elvis says, you know, you have to keep up with us. You can take as many photos as you like, but you've got to, we've got to keep moving because we've got to get 45 Ks a day and that's non-negotiable. So if you can keep up, that's fine. So I was just physically unable to help him with the photography. Like it's uh. just, I was doing everything I could just to keep up. Right. And so he started, you know, abusing me about this and Elvis turns around and sort of says, hang on a minute, you, you can't treat her like that. That's not okay. You know? Um, and so these two guys end up having a big fight about this, you know, and oh, wow. for me, it was like, well, this is normal for me because that's the way I'm treated all the time. And I'm like, oh, that's not okay. You know, because you oh, get wow. used to things. And anyway, this went on for two or three days and times got desperate and we, we were really dehydrated. So to, to be fair, we were all very irritable and very stressed, as you can imagine. On day four, the boyfriend, in the middle of the day, absolutely dehydrated. We were really up the proverbial creek without a paddle at this point. Ends up having a big fight and says, right, that's it. The relationship's over. I'm leaving. We're done. You can stay with the two guys. I'm off. And he packed his backpack and he left and he just disappeared over the sand dunes. And at that point, I'm like, hey, you've got to be kidding me. You know, <laughs> um, I started to fall apart because I was like, you know, my, my relationship, my life. I was living in Austria with him at the time because he was Austrian. Everything's about to fall to pieces, right? And he's disappeared. I don't know whether he's going to survive, whether we're going to survive. Things are getting pretty desperate because one twisted ankle out there and you're gone, you know. Right. And, and I started to, you know, break down and cry. And then I'm like, hang on a minute. I can't afford to cry. I haven't got enough tears in my body to, you know, waste. <laughs> yeah, got to save the hydration. <laughs> so um, sounds funny. It wasn't funny back then. Anyway, I pulled myself together and I promised the other guys that I would be fine and I wouldn't cause any more trouble and that we would just be a great team together. And, and, we, and we continued on and we fought through the next three days when we went through hell, we went through sandstorms and massive dehydration and hallucinations wow. and the body breaking down and so on. But we made it out the other end and you have to read the book wow. for the whole story. Wow. That's in my first book. My first book is called Running Hot. And anyway, this was a low point in my life, right? Because I've just, I've come through this, I've damaged my body, I'm quite ill and I've got this relationship that's broken up. And it was a turning point in my life where I went, hang on a minute, I'm, this is, I'm doing something wrong here. I've got to change something. I've got, you know, got to. So from then on, I decided 
no one's going to treat me like that again and I'm going to rebuild my life. And my confidence was very like this, like absolutely nothing at that point. And so I started to rebuild myself and my life and it took me a long time. But a, a couple of years later, I was reading a magazine about a race in the Moroccan Sahara. And if you can imagine, I've never, I've never run a marathon at this point, okay? But this race was 242 Ks. It was a running race across the Moroccan Sahara. But you had nine liters of water a day. You had support from doctors and you oh, know, wow. airplanes and helicopters and, you know, goodness. They were watching you. They watching you. They were watching you. Yeah, you were, you were, exactly. It was, it was still dangerous, but it was, was, you know, within the realms of normal sort of thing. That sounds like heaven like, compared to what you described right now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That was my comparison because I was going same distance. I've only got to carry like 10 kilos. Not yeah. 35, I've got nine liters of water, I've got people supporting me, ah, what's not to love? And at that point, I really needed to prove, even though the, the relationship was over, I needed to prove to myself that I wasn't useless. And so I signed up for this thing. And as I said, I'd never run a marathon, so I just signed up and started training, managed to get some sponsors, got down to this race in Morocco. Did it, and it was the most amazing, positive experience of my life. I had all these wow. incredible people around me. I had people telling me that I was amazing, and you know, and I was doing really well. I was in the top five women for the a good part of the race, and ended up in the top nice. ten, which was like you know, and this is a big race, like seven hundred people wow. running through the Moroccan Sahara, and so I was doing pretty well, right? <laughs> and, I, and I was like, wow, this is just amazing. So I got through to the end of that, and I'm like right, what else can I do, you know? And then I just, basically, the rest is history. I started signing up for one race after the other after the other. And, Hence uh, the 70,000 kilometers. If you don't mind, I'm going to pick a little bit here. I'm going to prune. It sounded like, to me, you know, I always use a Steve Jobs quote. You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only do it backwards. Are you familiar with that Steve Jobs quote? Not actually, but yeah, that is gold. Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking back at your life and I'm almost thinking your boyfriend leaving you was probably the best thing that could have happened to you. Oh, yeah. In that definitely. moment, in that moment, when you're alone in the desert, it was just you. Yep. You know, I'm sure Elvis and the other guys would have helped you. But truly, I think it was just you. You know, is it fair to say that majority of what led you to do what you're doing was to prove to yourself that you are worthy? You are enough. Oh. A hundred percent. You are on the money. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that then, like yeah. you said, I yeah. didn't connect those dots. Yeah. But when I look back now, it's like, ah, uh, you know, when you, when you like grow up with a dad who awesome dad, but again, very hard. <laughs> yeah. So you're primed to want to please uh, um, someone. Approval. The sense of approval. approval. Yes. Yeah. Cause I love my dad and I wanted his of approval. Of course. Yeah. You yep. know, always did. Little girls do. And and so that was sort of transferred onto the, the first boyfriend who came along, you know, uh, um, and, and looking back at it, you know, and, and I don't want to say anything bad about him. Like he was a young man. He was, I'm sure he's changed now. And, you know, we were both young and, and dealing with our own crap, you know. I think looking back, that's probably what I did, you know, and replace uh, one uh, thing with the other. And yeah. I, I hear you. And I think it's beautiful that you're able to look back and, 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 and say that, you know I mean? And, and challenge yourself and, and do that stuff. So um, it is, I mean, that's all of us. So many of us, I think if we just try to prove to ourselves how amazing we are, how much we can accomplish, it would be so much better than trying to prove others wrong. Where do we live majority of the day? 
It's up here, right? It's not in somebody else's house, restaurant, car, freeway, company. It's in our heads. And if that place is not positive, if it's that place is not making you feel good, pretty soon you're going to hate it. The mind doesn't know which way. I mean, you know, it'll, it'll go either way. So I think it's beautiful what, what you were able to do and pull yourself out of it. So now let's fast forward. You've started a few businesses. I, I read that you were also doing some, you created some documentaries, even jewelry, mm-hmm. I heard, event mm-hmm. management. Now that's kind of your entrepreneurial phase. Now tell me about that. You know, what made you want to kind of go into the businesses and try your hand at entrepreneurship? Basically, getting <laughs> Unemployable. Uh, <laughs> Unemployable. Uh, hey, um, cheers. We all are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I never fit in anyone else's box. I always wanted to run my own ship and for better or worse. And, you know, I'm not one of these people who left school and went to college and decided and knew what they wanted. I sort of was like this way, that way, <laughs> all over the show. And that's been, you know, an interesting ride. And I've always like, whatever I'm interested in, I've just gone and done. So I didn't always go and get like, uh, you know, 100 qualifications. I've, I've gone back now and done a few things since, but I, I, you know, for example, the jewelry, I started exporting these special pearls that we have in New Zealand called abalone pearls over to Europe. I had no idea what the heck I was doing. Somebody had some told me, do you want to do this? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. You know, so off I bowled to the biggest Basel trade fair, you know, the biggest jewelry fair in the, in the world, bowled over with my bag of pearls and said, here I am. And here's my pearls. And, you know, didn't know that it was completely not done and just bowled on in and ended up getting invited to, to Japan to, to exhibit there. And then I worked with a whole lot of top level jewelers to make these beautiful creations out of these pearls, things that you cannot, should not be able to do but because I didn't know and I was so naive (laughs) I just bowled on in and created a world for myself and created a job and I ended up being a goldsmith and running shops in 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 Austria and in New Zealand and having a wholesale and retail operation and then the world tips upside down because China comes in with mass production and you know 3D printing and all the rest of it and my industry collapses okay I've got to do something else so (laughs) you know um, I pivoted and yeah. I pivoted many times and I've got, I've always just, you know, like I've written three books, I've done eight documentaries, I've had TV shows and radio shows, podcaster, obviously. Now I'm doing health optimization coaching. I do epigenetic and genetic testing. I help people with wow. really difficult health journeys. So basically whatever I've been interested in, in the time, at the time is where I've, you know, just gone and made stuff happen. And, and, and then some of them have been successful, some of them not so successful. And I've learned along the way and I've had just this, this really interesting, eclectic sort of life of, you know, you might might think it's a bit ADHD really, but you know, it's no. been interesting. ADHD, entrepreneurship, I don't know what that even means. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you can relate. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of were given opportunities and I love what you just said. You goes, you said that I never don't finish what I start. And I think that's such an important trait because so many of us, even if we just switch that little thing, you know, pick one thing, but finish it, you'd be so successful at it. Fast forward now, okay? You're doing all these businesses. Some are successful, some are not. That's the fate of entrepreneurship. There's opportunities that come and go. But what's really interesting is this journey with your mother and this book that is called Relentless. Walk me through what happened with your mother. It takes bravery to stand up and say, I don't believe this, not only for you, but more for the person who's hearing it that's going on in their body. 
your mu- you must have been such a beacon of light for your mother to lift her up from that. So tell me about that because I mean, if you've ever read The Secret or you've read other things or you've seen, you follow the work mm-hmm. of Doctor Joe Dis- Joe Dispenza. Love it. Yeah, Doctor Joe Vitale, other people like that. To them, this world is pretty common. They see it all the time. But for some of my listeners that are maybe listening to this for the first time, just you know, walk us through that. That's amazing. So five and a half years ago, my mum had a massive aneurysm. So this is a bleed in the brain. And it was a medical misadventure from the get-go because they thought she was having a migraine. So they ignored mm. what she, the pain that she was in. So this made me very hypervigilant. It made me go, hang on a minute. You mean I can't trust that everything will be taken care of and that the medical world and, and people are infallible? No, they're not infallible. Yeah, <laughs> they can yeah, make yeah. mistakes. We're all human. And that made me go, okay, I have to take responsibility the best to the best of my ability. I am going to, if I get a chance with my mum and we get her through that critical phase, which the doctors did, amazing, surgeons and so on, they got her through this critical phase of three weeks and in and out of a coma. But when she came out of that, she had hardly any brain, higher brain function. She was massive brain damage at the age of 74. Usually like with neuroplasticity, you know, when you're younger, you've got more chance of, of recovering when, you, when you're advanced yes. age. Age wasn't really in your favor at that time. No, no. Mm. And, the, and then the damage was so big. She had no control over any bodily functions, no idea who she was, no memory, no. Wow. She was like a baby, basically. For three months, you know, she was in hospital. And in this time, I, I was just studying and studying. Like, I studied like I do ultra marathons, just, you know, going absolute hard. And already in the hospital, I picked up that she had sleep apnea because I was seeing things in her that I'd experienced when I'd raced at altitude and had altitude sickness. She didn't have enough oxygen in her body. And I was seeing the signs, and the doctors hadn't picked this up. And I asked for a sleep apnea assessment. And this is when you stop breathing at night because you've got a, either a brain injury or if you're overweight or there's different reasons why you can get sleep apnea. But they said to me, look, why should we do it? There's no, she's not, there's nothing wrong with her. You know, she's not, that's not a problem. And so I ended up getting an outside consultant, bought them and smuggled them into the hospital <laughs> and did the sleep assessment. And it came back severe sleep apnea that oh, she wow. was stopping hundreds of times a night. And her oxygen levels were down at 70%. Anyone who's a doctor out there knows that that's extremely low and that's she wouldn't have lived long by doing, doing that. So her oxygen at 70% meant that she was depriving her brain and her body of oxygen. And that was knocking off any brain cells that she had left, right? <laughs> she was, wow. And she was chain stoke breathing and she was, she was on her way out basically. So that was my first win, right? So I got her on a CPAP machine that helps her breathe. And then we started to see tiny bits of improvement. And then I discovered a, a treatment called hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And this, people, if you're listening, this is a very powerful, underrated therapy. It comes from the diving industry for divers who have the bends. But what they found is if they put people on oxygen, and then what it does is it puts you under pressure like you would be if you were underwater. You're not underwater, you're in a chamber, but it puts more pressure on your body. And it compresses the oxygen molecules and helps hyper-oxygenate the body, just putting it very, very simply. And this has been shown again and again to create more stem cells, attack inflammation in the body, help the brain recover, basically. And so I went, this is something, why, why can't I have this? I want this, you know, after studying under Dr. Harch in America and realizing this was a chance for her. And so 
then I went to the Auckland Christchurch hospitals. They have a hyperbaric chamber and I asked if I could use it. They said, no, it's not, it's not rated for it. You know, we're not, we don't do brain injuries. We do gangrene. We do uh, burn injuries, diabetic wounds, but not, we don't believe it helps in brain injury. And I said, well, here's the data and here's the clinical <laughs> research and so on. And they said, well, we don't care. It's not, it's not allowed in New Zealand. So then I went to a commercial dive company who had one of these chambers uh, in my local town. And I basically begged these guys, can I use your chamber? And these amazing people said, yes, sign a legal waiver so that they were legally protected and uh, you can come and use it. So in the day I got here out of the hospital and actually just backing up a, a little bit, in the hospital, they wanted to, when she'd stabilized, they said, we we're going to put her into our institution because she's 24-7 around the clock here, right? And I said, no, I'm taking her home. And they said, look, you'll never, ever cope. She's massive needs. And I remember going and throwing my two books at this guy and saying, I'm not giving up. This is who I am. This is who my family is. And we're not giving up on my mum and we're taking her home. Give us the resources we need, which was uh, we wanted an hour in the morning of support. So home worker in the morning and in the evening caregivers for one hour. I said, why, why can't we have that? You know, putting her in a, an institution costs a lot of money as well. You know, why can't we do the same thing? They said, well, that's in our budget and that's in their budget. So they didn't want to do that they, because it would remain in their budget. So I had a hell of a fight on my hands. Eventually I won that battle and I was able to take her home. And the, I remember the social worker saying to me, you'll be back here in two weeks begging me to take her back and to, look, to get her into an institution because there's no way in hell you're ever going to function uh, and be able to do this. So that was just like fuel on the fire for me. Yeah, that's a nasty thing, nasty thing to say. So I never did go back and I never did need his help. The day I got her out, I went to this hyperbaric oxygen chamber and we put her in there. I had to stick her on a forklift to get her in to this thing in this big factory, right? Everyone thought I was completely bonkers, but I knew the research. We did 33 treatments there. 33? The chamber, 33 over a period of just under a month. So almost like more than one a day. So I assume we did one a day for five, so five days a week and then two days off over the weekend and, and, and so on. And the protocol I wanted was a 40, a block of 40, and then a month off and a block of 40 because that was the protocol I'd worked out. After 33, we lost access to the chamber because it had to be taken off on a, on a contract. But my mum started to, had started to wake up. Like that's the only way I can explain it. She started to respond. She wasn't like getting up and walking out of the wheelchair or anything, but she was starting to try to talk. She had a couple of words now. She was starting to move her hands into, you know, there was just a flicker of intelligence there. And I'm like, oh my God, this is working. Uh, what do I do now? Okay, I'm up against another obstacle. I've now got no chamber. So I researched, I found that I could buy one. So I mortgaged my house. I bought wow. a hyperbaric chamber. <laughs> I installed it in what my house. They, what do they cost, if you don't mind me asking, Lisa? They're about $23,000 US. Yeah. So uh, a lot of money, but not, not a lot of money. You know what I mean? I was luckily enough that I hadn't had much that I could do that on, the, in the, on in my mortgage, you know, yeah, 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 <laughs> add yeah. it to my mortgage. I managed to get her this. And then I had to find someone to help me. Yeah, assemble I mean, it and you're right. It. If you, if you take the cost of cancer, yeah, 23,000 is, is a lot, but it's not compared to some of the other things that you have to go through, through disease or what your mom would have maybe had to go through. Right. In the last few years, I've spent a couple of hundred thousand dollars and that's why I run around in an old car and, you know, <laughs> Yeah. And but but whatever you know, and that's why I work so hard on my businesses and so on. But you know, this is a family member that you love dearly, and you'll do anything it's for. Your mother. Right? It's your mother. It's your mother. You do yeah. whatever it takes. You know. Correct. Correct. So I I got her in this chamber, and then I started to put her through. And as she started to come back, 
then I had more and more to work with. So then I started to study other aspects. So, you know, I'd study functional neurology to start reestablishing her vestibular system because that whole balance system was gone. I started keto diet because that's much, much better for brain health. I had her on all these nootropics, you know, brain, brain enhancing supplements and other health supplements. I had her, you know, functional genomics and epigenetics. And this is where I ended up going was, down that was road. Was ashwagandha ever on the protocol? Ashwagandha? Absolutely. Yeah, ashwagandha nice. was still on the protocol. Yeah, yeah, it's on yeah. mine as well. It keeps me awesome. sane. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Amazing. And I'm sure turmeric as well, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Perfect, absolutely. Perfect. Yes, You're yes, on to it. Amazing. Yeah. Well, this is what we do, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So actually, I need to talk to you and find out more. I'm sure you have more deeper information. So yeah, I, I basically experimented and just did what I thought I could do and stay one step ahead of it. Now I had to train her brain. So it took me hundreds of thousands of hours, thousands and thousands of hours of retraining her brain to do the most basic of, of, of movements and exercises and speaking and, you know, how to hold a pen and how to cut with scissors and how to you know, that was just sitting, you know, before I could teach her to actually sit upright. And to, at the very beginning, she couldn't even chew food or swallow properly, you know. So we went from there. It took me two and a half years to get her back to full health walking, you know, and this is a huge journey, the walking and the balance. And that she now has her full driver's license, her full power of attorney back. She has oh her full life God. back. She's lost 43 Lisa, Lisa, kilos. That is amazing. <laughs> Holy moly. We can it, we can curse on this podcast. Holy shit, that's awesome! <laughs> it is My a holy shit moment, God. really, isn't it? Wow, wow, <laughs> yeah, and from, and from wow, amazing. And, Love this is that. so this is so empowering because I want other people. Like it, it costs me a lot. Like my own health suffered. My businesses obviously suffered. My my family suffered. We all suffered, but I don't I don't care. I want, you know, like I would sacrifice my life for my mother. And so that's the attitude that I went in with. It has to be an all-in attitude. When you're facing something this big and this difficult, and there, you have to understand that there will be months with no progress. There would be hours and hours with just grindingly boring things that I have to reteach her. I'd teach her something one day, the next day it's forgotten. I'd teach her again the next day, the next day it's forgotten. There's still little pieces that we're working on now, five and a half years later, but it's just minimal compared to what I, you know, what we've been through. And I've, I've, I've written a book, if you don't mind me sharing. No, no, <laughs> um, please. Anything. This, anything yeah. Anything. This book is called Relentless, uh, How a Mother and Daughter Defied the Odds. There were also two wonderful brothers and a dad behind that as well. And it's, it's a story that's empowering and inspiring. And it also shows some of the problems we have with our current medical system. And, you know, I'm not anti the system or anything. And we, we need these guys. There's some brilliant doctors, but there is some very much the blinkers are on. Yeah. <laughs> they don't see what is happening in the world of research, in the world of nutrition, in the world of any of these areas is not because it's not what they have been taught. And so they hold the keys though to the entire kingdom, if you like. And so Things like hyperbaric oxygen therapy just don't get a look in the door in mainstream medicine or what you do doesn't get a look in the door or, you know, any of these other areas. I'm a it, very big advocate it, for that. It now. is changing slightly, though, Lisa. It, it is. is changing for the positive in the recent years I've seen because and I'll tell you where that's coming from. It's a function of consciousness. It's it's people like your mother and you and people that have been inspired by your mother to be like, hold on. I think I can do this. 
I, my, if my, my body has the ability to heal, right? My body can heal. And I, I know I, I, if I just give it the proper tools, the education, the messaging, i.e. the neuroplasticity, I've seen it. And the demand is there. So it's, it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And yeah, I mean, please share the, about the book. So the book talks about how you were able to support your mother in this. Is that, is that what it is? Yeah, so the book is basically the whole journey from day one onwards. So it's, you know, it's our family's story, but it's it's also all the therapies that I did, you know, and, and since I've written the book, there's more because I continue to study and continue to stay one step ahead. Um, and I'm just, you know, passionate now about sharing that information because the, the funny thing is when you start to delve into this world, you start to learn for yourself, you start to help your own loved one, and then you realize, hang on a minute, I can help other people. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and so then I went and actually studied uh, epigenetics and functional genomics, got qualified in that. And then I now have programs that I take people through their own genetic makeup and then help them optimize their environment to that, to those genetics, if you like. And I layer it on with different information depending on what the person needs. But that helps people with really difficult health journeys and it gives them a basis for foundational health so that they can then move forward. And then I've developed a, a huge network of doctors and scientists and, and research that I can connect people to if it goes beyond my scope of abilities. So I can take on anybody really with any problem and give them something to work with. It may not be the entire answer, but it's it can beautiful. be something. So you're a resource for people's, you know, health. And it's yeah. amazing. Amazing. I like amazing. to think of myself as an investigative reporter, you know, like a yeah. detective. <laughs> amazing. detective. Amazing. Where can people pick up a copy of this book? In America, um, it's on Amazon. Amazing. Um, and I can, I'll send you the link so you can yeah, perhaps we'll, we'll put include it in, it in your show notes. notes. Yes. That yes, would be yes. fabulous. For people down in New Zealand, Australia, they can just grab it off my website, lisatamati.com. Tamati is just T-A-M-A-T-I. And so all my books, all my uh, courses, all my things are at that website as well. So yeah. Perfect. And, and Lisa, how can people get a hold of you? Are you on Instagram, Facebook, socials? Please share all that as well. Yes, I'm on Instagram at Lisa Tamati. You'll notice the backdrop here. I've got yes. Pushing the Limits. That's my podcast. So <laughs> I'm going to have to get you on the podcast. Yeah, to share. You're always I'd love that. to. Love to come. We'll, we'll do that. We'll do that. And um, so that's a passion of mine too that I've been doing for five and a half years and I love getting experts in different areas and sharing their insights. So that's called Pushing the Limits. And then on Facebook, I'm at Lisa, at Lisa Tamati as well. Yeah, and just lisatamati.com is the best sort of hub for everything that I do. If somebody wanted to take you up on it and reach out to you because they do have a problem, do you work with people one-on-one? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. Perfect. We do. Perfect. Yeah. I work with people on the, we, we have this base framework using epigenetics, which is really the study of genetics and how the environment is influencing those genetics. And then we help you build a framework around that. So this is lifestyle and things like circadian rhythms and hormones and nutrition and exercise. And then I, if I've got a specific problem, say you have a, a lady dealing with hormones, then we may do another, another form of testing to work out what your innate hormone pathways are or thyroid or whatever the case may be. So it might get layered on with different things, but that's, yeah, that's how it sort of works. <laughs> I'm just thinking like how the amazing work that you're doing and how much you're helping people. It's, it's been nothing but lovely to have you on, to hear your story, Lisa. Do you ever make it out to the States when there is no oh. COVID? <laughs> yeah, right now, like we're in level four lockdown, like our entire yeah, country is on I lockdown. Know. So we're in a 
we're in a bad state at the moment. But, um, you know, I'm just trying to stay positive in this environment. And, and uh, if I ever do get to the States, there are so many people like, like yourself that I would love to just visit because, you know, through this wonderful world of Zoom and podcasting and all this stuff, you just get to meet this incredible people around the world. And you're just like, I want to meet you, you know, yeah. in person. Um, so that's really frustrating at the moment. So it doesn't look like I'll be going anywhere anytime soon. I'm also still looking after mum. How you're sitting in New Zealand and I'm here in Dallas, Texas, and we're able to see, I mean, the technology. Pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. I, I mean, just, I just think we live in the most amazing time and we can be, you know, we can be scared and feel like it's a negative world that we live in. Or we can turn it around going, look, we live in this incredible environment. Yes, I'm dealing with, you know, COVID lockdown level four over here, but I get to talk to you in America. I can connect with people all around the world. I have access to information from the greatest minds at my fingertips. No one's ever had that before. And this is empowering for us. So it's really exciting. Correct. Lisa, it's been nothing but just amazing to have you on here. Thank you, dear, so much for coming on. I do want to ask you, I have these fire, just a couple of questions that I always like to end the podcast with. What is your favorite quote that you live your daily life by? I think my, my <laughs> on the spot, <laughs> um, I just think that the three words never give up, uh, you know, I love that. like yep, it, yep. It, because I'm, you know, as long as you're a, in the game, as long as you're alive, as long as you're breathing, you have a chance to turn things around. You have a chance to fight. And I'm very much a, a fighter. When I say never give up, I don't mean never quit if a project or a business or a thing is not what you should be doing right now, like it's taken its course and it's done its thing. What I'm saying is that you never give up on your big dreams, your missions, your loved ones, your, your health, your whatever it is that you need to go all in on. So that would be the other one. Go all in. When you're, when, you're, when you're taking on something, don't do it with one toe in the water. Go go all in and fight with everything that you have to get to that if it's jump an in, important Jump dream. in. Jump in. Your whole jump body. Yes, yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Amazing. Lisa, thank you so much. I am going to include all the places where they can contact you. The book notes will be in the show notes. This has been nothing but lovely. I would love to come on your podcast as well. That'd be great. Yes, um, but that. thank you so much. And, you know, I wish you nothing but the best. It's wonderful. And enjoy the rest of your day in New Zealand because you have a thank whole, you. whole day ahead of you, right? Thank you so Take much care. for Take the care. opportunity. Take care. Lisa. Thank you so much. We hope this episode helped make your life simple. It would mean the absolute world to us if you share, subscribe, and let others know about the work we do here. Thank you. And join us next week on the Balanced Being Podcast with Guni Sodi.